0: Welcome to Native Yoga Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here My goal with this channel is to bring motivational speakers to the mic with the intention of inspiring and uplifting you We hope you enjoy Hello, I'm so happy that you're joining for this discussion with Kirsten Berg. Man, I'm so excited for you to listen to this and you know, a part of me, I'm going to tell you what her Instagram name is, it's at Kirstberg, so at K-I-R-S-T-B-E-R-G. And you can also find her at her website, com. And I, a part of me, I had not, well, it's been a little while since I looked at her Instagram page. And so having this discussion and the way that she describes some of the artwork that she's put together for large installations in San Francisco and uh, Burning Man, uh I just now, after having the conversation with her, I'm creating this intro, went and looked at her page again. And I'm just blown away at the artwork that she puts together. It's incredible to have the opportunity to hear her explain it the way she does. I'm just really inspired. Like I want to go and, I mean, there's, I, I, there's no way I could create something like what she makes just because you got to check it out. Go have a look. And listen to this conversation with Kirsten Berg. All right, let's get started. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I'm um, having my uh, office hours in my car at the beach in Santa Barbara uh, right now, this week. So I have no complaints at the moment.
0: Nice. Well, I hear you. <laughs> yes. what, what is the weather like over there right now? I've, I've been hearing things about drought conditions in California. What What is it What is it like there?
1: Uh, yes, it's a very dry w- year, which is very worrisome for the summer as we go deeper into it. Um, right now, the uh, I kind of escaped to Santa Barbara from the Bay Area to the, the cooler, marine, foggy climate, and it seems to have hunted me down. So uh, right now, it's cloudy yeah. and foggy here, yeah. which... Uh, People do seem to appreciate, and when you have, uh, when you live in a super sunny, dry environment, it's a it's a it's a welcome change.
0: Good point. We have yeah. we had uh, an increase of rain lately, where we were in a little bit of a drought here in Florida, and then this last week, two weeks, it started dumping again, and everybody's like, "Oh, thank goodness, yeah. have a little bit of moisture." Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, it's I, very dry in California. It's, 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 it is. It's serious. Yeah.
0: I know, right? I keep watching it thinking, all right, let's see what happens here. I know. Um, and I, I'm really appreciative to our mutual friend Cliff Samuels for introducing us. And uh, for me, I'm excited to get a chance to get to know you and through through our conversation. And I guess a good starting point where I'm curious is how long have you been practicing yoga? And, and I know you're an Ashtanga teacher. When did you get started practicing Ashtanga?
1: Uh, so i was uh you know in and out of the san francisco bay area uh, growing up as a kid in the 70s between the bay area and amsterdam and it was like really this like uh you know the post um 60 social revolution and mm. uh, you know all things india were of interest and there were there was yoga everywhere so it's kind of I was very used to it as a kid and people like to say, Oh, I, you know, I did yoga in my mom's belly. And, (laughs) and I, I joined my mom for a few yoga classes when I was a kid. And apparently I was a disruptive presence. But, um, (laughs) I, I was always interested in India and I knew even like, even as a kid, like I'm going to go to India. Like there's something there for me. Like I just like sort of knew it in my bones. And I thought it, even as a kid, I thought it was weird. I'm like, why do I want to go to India? But, um, Eventually, I made it over there. And um, how old were you? I I didn't get over there until I was twenty-three, and I looked around for yoga classes that were that suited me, that really resonated with me, and I didn't find them. But what I did find was I really connected with the Tibetan Buddhist uh, Mm. meditation community. So I took that on as my like meditation was my focus for years, and then you know. In the meantime, when I returned back to the States, I kind of tried Anger Yoga Kundalini and uh, you know, nothing I I just figured, you know I I had to go back to India and take time and find a practice that spoke to me or the right teacher and eventually I did I just, I bought a one-way ticket to India I saved up enough to be able to stay away for a few years and kind of let myself meander and give myself the time to check out different teachers. I ended up in Rishikesh and uh, Dharamsala. Nice. And so that was later when I was um, in 1996. And, mm-hmm. you know, I met a teacher that I absolutely adored, but he was somebody that would just do like a few workshops and immersions a year. He wasn't an Ashtanga teacher at all. And but through him, I um, was directed to an Ashtanga teacher in Goa, which was um, Rolf Oh, who, uh, Yeah, and eventually we, um, I, I ended up, I just knew, like, with, with my first Ashtanga practice. Oh, this is it. This really, this really suits me, that it's self-guided, that there's a focus on slowly building up the practice uh rather than just jumping into something and like having you know, having to try to do everything yeah. all at once yeah. in sixty minutes or two hours and I like that there was an emphasis on breathing and uh, visual focus, the drishti, like uh, it just made sense to me. So uh-huh. I, I stuck around for six months and then I went to Mysore and visited I studied with Patabi Joyce and when I was in Mysore, uh Rolf ended up there as well and sort of, you know, uh, uh, I ended up going back to Goa and living there and returning to Meister every year. Nice. So, yeah.
0: I, didn't re- I didn't realize all that. I'm so excited. Yeah. R- Rolf was uh, both my wife, Tamara, and I's first uh, Ashtanga teacher.
1: Oh, yeah. delightful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I such know. A, I such know. a kind teacher.
0: I know. And that's cool. I didn't realize that you that you were stationed in Goa too for for that amount that you spent so much time there.
1: Yeah, I ended up living there for 4 years. Wow. In fact.
0: That's uh what was that like?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I had uh, to be quite honest. I, some people really connect with Goa and some really are repelled by it and I was uh, of the latter persuasion. Uh. I I loved India, and I really disliked India, uh, Goa, and I, uh, you know, it, over the four years I was there, that that didn't really change. I felt that there was, like, a lot of darkness there, and the, mm. the longer I was there, the more um, I came to learn of, you know, what life is like, kind of behind the scenes, but I, you know, I was there for my own reasons. I wanted to focus on practice, yeah, yeah. and I had a nice community. Nice and um, so you know that that uh, those were outer challenges, and I kind of uh, you know took those on as part of my greater yoga practice. There was like okay, these things, like you know, if, if I'm if I'm aligned within my internal practice, I can kind of navigate my way through the discomfort and the mm. dislike, and yeah. you know, cultivate the uh, dispassion that we are that you know that we're doing practice for so for me it just became part of my practice
2: that's cool (laughs) for four years
1: yeah until i decided i had enough and i was like all right i think i want to live somewhere where (laughs) the the outer environment is also like feeling inspiring
0: (laughs) in some ways like you prove yourself right like all right i can do this i can do this and enough kind of time goes by all right what's next like is there yeah I hear you we, oh, we uh we, we went to yeah. uh Goa for uh a summer to go practice with Rolf and it was monsoon season and I oh. figured, well I'm from Florida so it rains here, no big deal, but uh oh, yeah. it really rains there and a lot of people were like, yeah. Why are you why are you even here? Everybody else is up in Rishikesh or somewhere else and <laughs> and uh it was a really tough uh we were there for a little over a month. It was a it was a challenging experience. So I can totally yeah. understand what you're saying about the yeah. interesting elements of, <laughs> of, of the Goa <laughs> India. What yeah.
2: Else?
0: That's that's cool. When, oh, uh, well, huh, that's exciting. Are, are you practicing Ashtanga every day? Are you still on a consistent daily practice?
2: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing,
1: Well, God, uh, you know, I'm going to say no, I'm not. And uh, just for the sake of uh, like completely being authentic, I think a lot of, I know that a lot of people who have, who are dedicated to a daily or, you know, like six, six times a week yeah, practice for yep, decades, yep. Um, as as, you know, you... Just go through the postures and also through aging and questioning. You uh, most most people I know are not maintaining yeah. daily practice and, and not to like uh, you know kind of ex- people will w- could say, "Well, you're making excuses just because other people." Yeah. And it's yeah. not that I'm just yeah. I'm saying you know it's. What I've noticed, like in private conversations, is that most people are um, modifying the practice a bit or reducing yep. the length or intensity of the practice, um, or perhaps not practicing daily for a host of reasons, but are afraid to say so because
2: uh-huh.
1: it's considered, you know, you know, not the new the way. And there's a really there's a discrepancy between what we mm-hmm. were taught when, uh, like, decades ago, and what is the current message like i've had students uh say like people that are like newer to ashtanga say they started their practice within the last two, uh 10 years say well i don't feel like i can be in Ashtangi, so i question whether this is the practice for me and then like what do you mean you can't be in Ashtangi? you seem to be doing the practice you're showing up yeah um they're like well you know I can't practice six days a week because I've got a job or I've got a baby or I've got all of the above or you know I can only manage four or five times a week and like well you know we were always we were taught I was taught um, that you know whatever you are able to manage on a consistent basis that that is also realistic is acceptable Mm -hmm. and the ideal is the six-day practice but that's that's different you know that's you know if you're in a position where you have servants or nannies Mm, uh, you don't have to commute for an hour and a half yeah Uh, you don't have the same sort of relationship expectations as somebody in a different culture where the roles are very defined and very separated yeah Uh, if you don't have that then uh it's it's not realistic to superimpose in other cultures, like, you know, very, uh, delineated, mm. uh, expectations upon yourself. And, uh, one thing that I really appreciated about Patabi Joyce is that he was very kind and forgiving and supportive of people's uh, lives. It's like, you know, if you can only manage three times a week, you yeah. do three times a week. If yeah. you find space for another day per week, you do four times a week, and you try to find you know time for that for that fifth practice, or, and eventually, ultimately, for the six times a week. But if you can't, you can't. And, yeah. um There wasn't like a harsh harsh uh, judgment about it, whereas I am noticing that people tend to judge themselves quite severely if uh, they're not able to maintain a six times a week practice. That's a great. Uh, that. Yeah it's, it's interesting like in the last five years I've noticed that there's a tendency for people to express that uh, uh, doubt and um, people are so relieved to learn that uh, whatever you can do is okay. So as far as I'm concerned like I had a shoulder injury and the practice was just into be aggravating it or at least it wasn't helping it so I took some time off I like fine. I'm just going to take a few months off and see what happens. Just let it all go. Yeah, and it just healed. Like I, I, I don't have this. Like you know, I thought, well, maybe I have osteoarthritis in my shoulder, <laughs> yeah. maybe I have, you know, like a bone yeah. spur or something. Like I'm aging. You know, I'm fifty. It must be that, and it's not. It just the body needed a little time to repair, and I went back into practice, and I found that the five or six times a week was re-aggravating it. So I experimented with like taking a day off, like in between every other day. And yes. That was fine. So sometimes I do like actually recently. So I did that for a year and I think that's what my shoulder needed. And, mm. um, for the last three months I, I have maintained like a five times, sometimes six times a week practice and, it's been okay, but I don't do, I don't force myself to do, like, the series Advanced A, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing primary, and I'm very happy with that. I so,
0: hear you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I really appreciate your honesty about that, because I agree with you. I think that's important to address. That all these ideas, and also I I love primary too. Like, I I feel like I hit that point where I'm just like, I'm so content and happy with doing primary series. It's it's wonderful. It's just
1: fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you've injured yourself and then have had to start, like, build your practice up from scratch, you realize that whatever the inner practice is, is still the same. Whether you're like deep into advanced A or you're just halfway, or I, I should scratch out just whether you're halfway through primary, it's the inner challenges and work are the mm. same, the focus on the drishti, the maintaining of the bandha, the, mm. you know, keeping yeah. the evenness, the steadiness of the breath, regardless of what asanas you're contorting yourself into. So, um, and that's like a really liberating realization. Like it really doesn't matter what the asanas are at the end of the day. It's about the inner practice.
0: Yes, I agree. Uh, awesome. Thank you. I, in the process of getting a chance to um, kind of like see what you do and, and where you teach and all that, I, I noticed that you are an artist and that you create amazing pieces of work like large pieces of work and then I learned that you, you. you've you been able to display them at Burning Man I have friends that have gone to Burning Man I've never had the chance to go I've heard incredible things about it like it's just an amazing scene and just seeing some of the photographs of what the what the art installations are like out there I'm just I really want to go someday and so on that yeah. no, no, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what, what are you working on right now art-wise? Are you working on any pieces or what are you up to these days in your art pursuits?
1: Well, um, the reason I uh, brought myself down to the beach in Santa Barbara is because I am <laughs> recovering from having just... Uh, reinstalled one of my uh, large sculptures at the Exploratorium in San Francisco and that was wow. uh, 12 days straight of standing on my feet uh, on concrete you know like 10 12 14 hours a day uh, you know with like, non-stop so um, I just did that and it's uh, it's actually the first like real like manifest piece i've done since uh covid started i nice. you know i've done some smaller pieces last year i did something like an interior piece uh for a women's biennale that was in macau and i was supposed to build like an um in situ uh sort of like residential like massive piece like go travel to macau and exactly when uh, all the lockdowns started to happen so uh-huh. instead of that we uh everything got, um, you know, uh, sides down. So I did like a tiny piece yeah. of change. And, yeah. but other than that, this is the first, um, this is the first installation I've done in, in a while. I have other pieces, um, that I'm working on conceptually and, uh, figuring out materials. Like if there's, there's a private piece, a commission that I'm creating for somebody up in Sonoma. Nice. Uh, sometime soon. And Burning Man is not actually, it's not officially happening this year, but uh, there's a sort of unofficial burn that will happen. And uh, I went last year as well, and people brought like smaller scale art because the heavy machinery that you usually have isn't going to be there. So I'm, I'm mulling over the possibility of creating something that's sort of like it's, it's sculptures, but wow. something I can stick in the back of a, a truck and set <laughs> yeah. up with, a few, with a few hands and without <laughs> like a forklift and a scissor lift and all
0: of that. That's amazing. So the the one that you just did in San Fran was you said you spent how, two, how many days you were working on it for seven, 14 days,
1: twelve days twelve days. Great.
0: And yes. what what kind of <laughs> this what what kind of um, art like what type of piece were you working on? I, I'm. I don't have a visual in my mind of like what. What did the finished product look like?
1: Well, uh, it's hard to. Um, it'll be hard to truly convey an accurate picture with words, but I'll try. It's okay. a series of spheres that are stacked upon each other in successively smaller sizes. So, um, what the silhouette looks like is like the Mandelbrook fractal and it also looks like the like the very top of like Southeast Asian Buddha heads, you've got the uh-huh. bun with all the nodes, and then you've got little a series of buns and spires and like it, it sort of elongate the taper at the top. So if you can imagine that silhouette. Yeah. And then the main sphere that sits on the ground is about ten feet wide. Uh-huh. And the stack of spires, successively smaller spires that taper up to an elongated point. Those are another eight feet. So eight, 18 feet total or about six meters tall. Wow. And these are covered with uh, different sizes and uh, depths of convex uh, circular mirrors. So everything is circles and spheres and um, it's all mare polished or security mirrors and Chrome hubcaps and um, even Ikea bowls that I've covered with mirrors like and all of these represent uh, nodes of awareness and consciousness so you know I'm inspired by the interconnectedness of you know fractal objects the fractals in nature you know everything is a replicate of another thing and it branches off into further you know, ever self-replicating, um, awesome. you know, features, yeah. uh, small-scale and large-scale. It's, it's the whole cosmos, the micro and the macro, and everything is interconnected, and then the same with the nodes on the top of the Buddha head, or the jewels that are described in, uh, you know, the Buddha Sutra that talks about Indra's net of jewels or pearls, where we all hold and contain uh, all wisdom like there is no separation it's all inter mm. interdependent awareness and existence and knowing and consciousness like you know it's this our tapestry of the collective self basically so nice. what i with this piece uh the first thing that happens is people are drawn to the convex is because you have this sort of distorted funhouse like mm. effect you know yeah, yeah. and people like photographing themselves. So it's very much focused on the personal, the self, like how can I take my, you know, the best picture possible and put (laughs) it on Instagram. But when you step away, you see this composite image. It's this like mosaic of shared reflection. And you see how the person standing next to you is also captured into your mirror and you're captured in theirs. And like each mirror has like a different angle and perspective which um you know you kind of like wonder about that like oh right there's this effect of like all of us being like held together in this like framework it's like the individual cells um and so it's it's, this piece is called compound eye and it's eye like eyeballs slash quote unquote eye so inspired by the uh, faceted lenses of insect eyes where each piece is a necessary part of the the greater whole. Like we're all part of the bigger picture and we all belong in there. We're not separate, but um, you know, the the whole can't be seen without each of our individual perspectives. Um, But we have to be able to step back and like actually step away from our sort of self-focused like obsessiveness and, to see that bigger picture that it's not like,
2: you know, wow. there
1: is the personal self that we're still embedded within a larger collective self, the, the, the great I.
0: So. Nice. So curious, all of that. That, that are- was a great, that was a great audio <laughs> <laughs> version. Okay. I actually, you know, because I, well, I, I want to go on your Good. Instagram page. I'm not going to do it right now because I want to focus and uh-huh. not, not pick my phone up, but I know, uh-huh. are there pictures of it on the at? kirstberg site so yes, yes. Cites, um, yes. Just everyone knows it's spelled k-i-r-s-t-b-e-r-g on instagram yes. and that way we'd be able to actually then t- take a uh, look at the the piece that you're speaking of
1: yes it, yeah all awesome. it's all there yeah uh, so
0: i'm cur- like how many people are helping you put this together is this like a solo thing or do you have a whole team with you
1: it is impossible to do like a large scale piece of art solo, especially a burning man uh, where yeah. you have like 70 mile an hour winds wow. and you have dust storms. Um, you have whiteouts sometimes for like four hours and you know, you have to work on ladders and with heavy machinery. So it's a whole, um, so I always start with the concept myself. I do all the material research myself. I do the fundraising myself, you know, wow. that's about like, six to eight months depending on uh and you know what the project is
0: that's when something um, i was so curious about like when i see these huge pieces of art out in the desert like that i just think how how like even financially like how does somebody's paying for that so you actually do fundraising to raise the yeah. the funds to be able to pull off this this piece of art
1: You do. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about the, uh, the art making experience at Burning Man. You're completely bypassing the art world. So whatever anybody does is really what they want to do. And it can be a solo artist. Like, like I'm considered a solo artist because it's a single artist vision and concept, even Mm -hmm. though I have a team of people that help me, Mm -hmm. uh, actually construct the art, Mm -hmm. um, behind the scenes, uh, You also have artist collectives that, uh, you know, they make decisions and create as a group. And so you get these like massive installations that are created by like hundreds of people. Wow. Um, And a lot of, I would say most of the artists uh, put themselves into debt uh, Mm. from building Art for Burning Man because you can apply for a grant, but the most you'll get is 50% of your budget Mm. and the rest. Ah, uh, the artists are expected to fundraise themselves. Wow. And that's part of the intention of Burning Man that people like reach into their community and get them involved in like supporting the arts, the cool. art patronage, especially in the states because we don't really have such a long history of like art patronage yeah, and yeah. art in public places. So it makes it like even more exciting and like sort of, you know, feeding the soul because like American public space is so uh, devoid of, Mm. you know, like Mm. really riveting art or meaningful art, you know, know, obviously there are exceptions, but in general, we, we don't get to experience that. Um,
0: That's so so interesting. I I agree. I think, well, you, you mentioned San Fran and Amsterdam. Did you have a Dutch parent and an American parent? is that how you ha- got to travel or live in between those two cities? Cause I had been Am- to Amsterdam once and I got a chance to go to the, the Van Gogh museum and some of the yeah. art around the city is really amazing. And uh, so I'm thinking you had that influence from an earlier age of seeing European, you yeah. Europe, you know, just a different uh, interaction with art in the community. Is that how you originally got inspired or how did you get started in art?
1: And art, you know, I, I I had an artistic family. I liked I don't know. I like I loved drawing and making things as a kid. Apparently, I could draw as a kid, so it was encouraged. So you know, I kind of had like those like early wow. positive sort of boosts coming my way. Amsterdam, I you know, it was only in uh, hindsight that I realized that it's just like. Having the contrast of uh, living in a city that has grown and arisen uh, organically over time, like you know, I mean, there, mm. of course, there's kind of a city plan like around the waterways, but basically, these, these are things that are a response to people coming in and environment and need and. Mm. um things aren't like so linear and uh efficient you know versus like coming back to the states where things are more orderly along a grid people are separated and encapsulated in their personal vehicles mm. and kind of you don't really get that like rich like organic co-mingling and cross-pollination although when i lived in cities um I did feel that in, like, San Francisco and, like, as a kid in the 70s was, like, you know, it was, like, a real, like, melting pot, multicultural. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, actually, a little bit less so now because uh, was just, like, the shift in the sort of demographic. Yeah. Um, it's less, I, I find it less diverse, you know, but at that time, it was, like, you know, it was a pretty funky place. I bet. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think these things have influenced me for sure <laughs> yeah. and then yeah my my family was uh, Dutch and Indonesian so mm. we have uh, like mixed heritage and my father's Norwegian my parents met in California which is you know is like every my father immigrated here from Norway and my family left Indonesia after the war they lived in the Netherlands for a while <clears throat> and then everybody immigrated to California so. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. When when did you like to to get to the point to where you are now, making these sort of grand installations, like really big pieces of art? How did you evolve to that? Did you start with like making something real small, and then just started going, "I want to make a bigger piece and a bigger piece," and slowly (laughs) build up to it? Like how?
1: It's um. It's actually. I, You know, I went to, when I lived in the Bay Area, I I almost went to Burning Man so many times and never did. And then finally, when I was actually living in Asia for like 10 years, only then did it, I think like, oh, I really need to go to Burning Man. It's like sometimes you need the distance Mm. to, for the desire to like make itself felt clearly. Mm. So I did go in uh, 2005 and I was completely blown away by, uh, first of all, the canvas, the this natural landscape which is so otherworldly this like white plain with these like pink mountains and there are no people around and the stars and the cosmos are just like right there like right at the like the desert and the cosmos meet so right just the natural environment itself is startlingly beautiful and then these massive pieces that people had built in this like harsh landscape with uh no need for identification or for acclaim. Like Mm. none of the art there has a plaque. Like you don't know who the artists Mm. are and, um, it's a grueling environment. And I, I, it just blew me away. There's like beautiful art, interesting art, thoughtful art, like stupid art, humorous art, like small art, big, like on all scales. And, um, I was just like this, collection of human uh, creativity and imagination sort of unmitigated and not modified by the need for it to be saleable or commodified or with the intervention of like an art agent Mm. or you know like a monetary value attached to it it was just like this like pure direct experience and so you you come upon a piece of art and you feel like you've discovered something for the first time. It's like being a kid and it's just like awestruck. Wow. And I used to have these dreams when I was quite young that, um, where I was in this like plane, this field that looked a lot like the actual physical environment of Burning Man. And I, it, it was like this field of potential. And I used to wake up from them and go like, what is that? And I had like a certain feeling to it. And what is this place? And like through the years, through the decades, I would think about that. And uh, when I got to Burning Man, I was like, wait, this is just like that plane. And uh. there's a feeling that goes along with it, which is that feeling. So I felt like the whole time I was there, I felt like I had this deja vu. And huh. um, I had this excitation just, I I was so struck by the art and also the Uh, generosity and the inspiration of uh, like the good things of humanity, you know, that Mm. whatever it was that, you know, inspired people to go through such lengths and to go to debt, to share art and their thoughts, their creativity with others just for the sake of it. Um, And so that took root. Like when I actually, when I was in Mysore, like a year later, Actually, it was like nine months later. So the theme of that Burning Man was psyche. Mm. So nine months later, I had this dream when I was in my store. It was this lucid dream, and I had I had built this like hideous, like massive sculpture <laughs> at Burning Man, um, and it was so ugly. But I felt <laughs> so good to have done it. I was like, yes, I contributed to this like collective dream, this like uh, wow. co collaborative creative. Thing, this goodness, and then I woke up, and I, you know, I was really disappointed that to find that I hadn't done that, and <laughs> I was like, but "Thank God I hadn't created such a thing." <laughs> <laughs> so I got my sketchbook out, and I was like, "Well, what would I do? Like, what does my eye want to see? Wow. Like, you know?" And I was like, "I want to see rounded forms. I want to see sort of like shapes that are more feminine. Like, I want something that is a contrast." to the recto-linearity recto, recto linearity of um, <clears throat> modern cities. I, I want something that takes away, that softens the, the grid. Um, I want, you know, light and elegance and reflective wow. surfaces. So I sketched out a few things. Like one was like actually a meditative figure, like 50 feet tall, covered with elongated androgynous, covered... <sighs> Inside and out with Convex Mare. And then the other one was uh, Compound Eye, the one that I just uh, reinstalled at the Exploratorium. So I set those aside, and I thought, wow, you know, I wish I had the skills to make those, but I don't, you know, but maybe one day somebody will. And then a few years later, I... And, like, I, you know, I went to Burning Man a few other times, and I, like, recognized I had this, like, longing to also do something. But I didn't have any skills. I never built anything. I was not yeah. a welder. Yeah, um, I knew nothing. You know, I knew how to paint and draw, and that was it. So I tried to focus on that, but it wasn't quite satisfying. And a few years later, I you know, with my partner Mitchell, I was in a fabric store in New York City. We were visiting his parents, and I bought this, like, gorgeous like crazy fabric and this woman like standing next to me was like oh are you going to Burning Man judging what? judging by the fabric you're using what? I was like yeah and I was like and so how come you're buying 25 yards of like neon colored polar fleece in August <laughs> in New York City and she's like well I'm an artist and this is like I'm using this as insulation for this fragile lighting I was like oh what are you making and wow. um so we got in a conversation and I looked her up and she had originally been like a photographer and she was so inspired by Burning Man. She was like, you know, one year I just decided like I would dare myself to make something even though I didn't have any skills. And she's like, I figured it out along the way. And she became this like incredible creator of like large scale sculptures and just like picked up skills and the right art crew along the way. And I was like, Hmm well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. Wow. And so I thought about that for a little while, like a year. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do as if I'm going to make a sculpture. I'm then it go through all the things I know, like send in a proposal, like look at the material, see yeah. if I can figure out who knows how to build this, who knows how to build that. And just do due diligence so I did that for nine months and by that time I had sent in a proposal my proposal was accepted people were like oh you want to build like a thing in the desert and I was like yeah I think I do <laughs> wow. and then it just like created its own momentum and you know I thought it would be a one-off sort of like when I first went to my store I thought well you know I just want to check out this like Tabby Joyce I'll just check this and, out. <laughs> yeah I, I want to go to my store one time and I thought Well I want to you know build something at Burning Man one time and then when it was completed I was like okay this is like this is just something different this is like the universe like speaking through art and it needs to be made and I I'm gonna have to do this again I I was like I think I'm gonna have to do this like every
0: year (laughs) because
1: this is like because it just felt like truth like totally aligned like yes like this is this is right
0: that's um, an, that's amazing, Kirsten. I mean, you, I, yeah. I feel like, first off, super inspirational because how many of us follow through with, like, a dream that you sketch and then finally go through all these steps to make something like this happen. Like, that's pretty remarkable. I love the fact that, like, you have this dream, like, literally, and then just, like, you know, literally, get to the point where, yeah, like you have that moment of standing back looking at the piece that you made in the desert and go, I'm doing it again next year. How, how many times yeah. how, how many times have you done? How many installations have you done?
1: At, um, at so each, each piece I've done, I there were things that uh, didn't go right because, you know, I mean, that's like the nice, like, in, you know, summarized version. <laughs> yes, yeah. I love it and I need to do it again, <laughs> but like. The process of doing it and building it, it's it, like each piece that's like a, this like new thing that you're creating uh, that hasn't been done before. And it's like building out in the desert wow. in like 70 mile an hour winds, like in a whiteout. You can't breathe because of the dust. It's like it is really intense. That's like right. it really brings people to their edge, like you, crew, uh, partners. I mean, everything financial. It's, it is. You know, there are like little disasters every day, and it's like mm. you know, you lose crew members. You you other ones come your way. It's oh, like wow. everybody, you know, uh, gets into confrontation. It's really, um, it's it's so intense and so challenging. Although it's, it's, there's something about that that is also like makes it so like riveting and juicy. It's like when when you go through this like ritual of like hardship, um, it's it, I don't know there's some like I suppose yeah, an aspect yeah. of like ancient pilgrimage or something yes. it's, like the mortification of the body and like suddenly yes. there's this like beautiful thing that is like you know it it, it has meaning for you and then everybody else uh, you know people are so appreciative and excited it's wow. like you know it's its own reward that keeps on giving so
0: that's um, really cool I, I yeah. definitely want to go now I have friends yeah, from here that amazing. go and they're they're so into it. And they, every year, yeah. you know, really make a, and, I, and I've heard about, like you said, with the dust in the nose and the eyes and the intensity of the heat and dehydration and like the actual physical element of how hot it is and all that. I've heard yeah. it's just so intense. So yeah, I can't imagine actually trying to put together something <laughs> like with cranes.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> And, and, and on the level yeah. that you're talking about too, where you know you've had to commission the funds, you've had to draw it all uh, out, get the materials, figure logistically how to get all this stuff out there. That's so amazing. Are are so being an artist and a uh, yogi yogini, yogi, uh oh, do okay. do you see a connection between yoga and art in terms of the posture element do you sometimes feel like you're making art with your body so to speak and the different shapes what what sort of um parallels have you experienced <laughs> yeah over the years?
1: that's an interesting question it's like uh i you know i kind of felt like sometimes they were almost dissonant like you know i would not have as much energy for my practice or there would be mornings i just was so trashed from like being on a ladder for 16 hours there was no chance i was going to practice you know it's like the art practice became the only thing yeah um But over time, I, you know, what, what there is, at least for me, you know, and it depends on like what kind of art we're talking about is, you know, is it just talking about expressive art in that way? I don't think I don't see it as analogous to yoga practice, Mm -hmm. uh, which I, you know, I always for me, it's always, it starts with the inner practice and then the, the asanas are the platform upon which to experience refine observe focus control our um you know our consciousness i mean this is our vehicle of embodiment our our platform of experience but i think a lot of asana practice is really just posturing, like literally performative and i so you know i i I had i do make that just which I think is mm. sometimes considered a little bit uh, judgy but I mean I, that's just it yeah. is how, my perspective yeah. where yeah. if it doesn't have the internal practice, the Krishna, the, the breath, and the drishti and the bandha then um, you know I think of that as more of like an ex- expression of self rather than an observation and sublimation of the self mm. uh, and so and that's you know it's like fine but wonderful to stretch the body and feel bliss and, you know, enjoy in life. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's all great, but I suppose, and it depends on the art too. Some art is just, you know, it, it, or not just, but it, it is expressively intended. Some is conceptual. Um, mm. I think it depends on who and what we're talking about. But for me, the, um, the experience of the body as this like structure in which we are gathering and absorbing information and observing information and drawing that in and compressing it and concentrating energy and awareness and then expanding it outward and radiating outward. Uh, They're just as like this like flow of nature, how it gathers and folds in and, Spirals and concentrates and then builds upon itself to like blossom outward. There is, I I try to or I think I bring that into mm. my um, art. It, you know, it can really just comment on my own art. So I do. I uh, yeah. there's like a grounding in the art, and then there's a, a quality that that grounded form holds. That finite form holds the um, unlimited, like expressiveness or radiant potential like the infinite is captured and reflected um in a way poorly but still with intention uh on upon those and within those finite surfaces if that makes
0: sense it does you know as you were saying that i was re-envisioning your description of it's called the grand eye is that was uh, it compound diet when you were explaining the yeah. compound diet and and what you just mentioned i felt like i was seeing your art but also trying to relate it to the internal practices and in yoga and I, I i feel that i see that connection yeah i, I, yeah. I like the way it's, you explained it that was great <laughs> i
1: suppose we're this we're this <sighs> spectrum this finite thing, but, uh, there's this unlimitedness, this like bright light, this radiant potential, uh, that, that we hold that, we're, that, you know, we're not separate from the source, or at least I don't think we are. So, <laughs> uh, you yeah, sort of my personal filter, uh, with practice and with art. So in that sense, trying to perhaps present that, maybe uh, not express it, but, yeah, you know, reflect yeah. that or offer that perhaps.
0: That is really cool. You're you're making me want to create something. Like I I, yeah. like I, I want to be, <laughs> I feel, I've i always told myself I'm horrible at art, which is the worst thing to ever do is tell yourself no. a, a negative affirmation because of course it's not going to inspire me to do work or artwork. But yeah. I, just that, this idea of trying attempting to create something that would reflect the way that, you're seeing the world and or you're, what you're thinking about that's that's incredible do you, you you made mention that that one another thing that kind of seemed to stick out for me is when you said that the energy of being out at burning man and how much it felt like pure art because there was like a little bit less of that say commissioning andor doing it for yeah. someone else andor going around the the dealers so to speak and actually just putting something out there And then obviously we have a lot of discussions or there's lots of discussions about like the commercialization of yoga and or what what in your mind would be like pure yoga? You know, if we were to remove the the desire to, like, say, have the right outfit for when I go to class and or to, um, you know, go that that deeper layer into it. Is there a way to explain that or is there a way to describe what? A pure form of yoga is. I feel like you've already you are doing a great job already of of helping me to see that that side of it. But um, what do you notice in in terms of the yoga world and when we see that like commercialization? How do you what do you do to try to stay out of that or keep it fresh or keep it feeling like it's legit? Wow,
1: that is uh, yeah. That has many different answers. I okay <laughs> for myself. I mean, you know, we're humans and we're products and we're always in response and in influence in our environment. We can't extricate ourselves from that, but yeah. just, you know, keeping that uh, sharpness, of the, you know, like, okay, what am I, what am I practicing for? And like, you know, staying. I mean, for this is what I do, you know, like, is uh-huh. this. Is my uh, motivation for doing this, is it image or ego-driven? Am I looking for attention? Uh, do I want it to be, like, pretty, or do I want to look, be noticed? Uh, is, is any of that happening? And if so, uh, what do I need to do to, uh, you know, I don't need to, like, swing the pendulum and go the other way because I've noticed over the years that that doesn't work for people, for me or for mm-hmm. students, uh, for fellow teachers. Um, but just like, just don't do the thing that is like grasping towards something. Um, yeah, that makes sense. you know, yeah. um like that, I yeah. always, uh, whether I'm teaching by myself or with like a teaching partner, we try to just um, only offer what we know and, mm-hmm which, you know, isn't everything where you know, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar. I, I don't presume to offer this. I do not, uh, uh, I, I'm put off by a sort of hierarchical relationships. I do not want to be somebody's advisor, uh, you know. It's yeah. like always bringing it back to something that other t- teachers have said and then I've really appreciated where they mm-hmm. refer to themselves only as a like some it's it's student like always remembering that mm-hmm. as a, you're not a teacher you're a student of yoga you're it's a lifelong practice and you're learning things along the way yeah perhaps through direct experience you've learned more hopefully than somebody who hasn't practiced as long and so whatever those things are that you've learned along the way you offer those and without embellishment
2: yeah. um,
1: and without filler and that'll have to be enough. And if yeah. people want more, there are other teachers who Ooh. are offering more or something different and then that's fine. Just yeah. allowing for that. But like not territorializing students or claiming students, uh, not demanding that somebody has like obeisance or loyalty to use, um, I I think those are those are sort of a difficult construct, and I think they can they lend themselves to like toxic uh,
0: hierarchical yeah. relationships. So yes,
1: yeah, I don't know. I just uh, trying to stay humble and keep it real and be grounded and available always try to set time aside to actually meet students uh, as fellow humans and not hold the space of like, well, I'm the teacher and you're the student and there's a chasm and we're, <laughs> we're just never going to reach that. Um, so, yeah, I think keeping things simple and modest in whatever way that is meaningful.
0: I like that. I, I Yeah. Um... I, I agree. I think the simple part is such a big one like like the other day when I was I was practicing and I was feeling like in the forward bends and the murchyasanas and the twists I felt like all I'm doing is just folding and squeezing and pressing and squeezing and folding. And yeah. and if I keep it really simple like that, I feel like I'm more connected to it somehow than yeah. I try to make it elaborate and like there's more to it than there really is. I don't know. Somehow I agree. I think the simple part is a big thing.
1: Yeah. We're it, just these patterns that are folding and unfolding where nature moving in towards the center or radiating out from the center or both simultaneously happening. And I That's pretty much it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's pretty much uh, it, it seems that people's attention span sometimes lacks and the ability to like practice series of yoga poses, for example, like the primary series or second series, like doing the same thing over and over again. Sometimes I hear people say that they get bored. And yeah, yeah like personally, I love repetition. And I feel like it, it helps me to stay motivated and, and keeps me on track. And I don't really feel like I, I have to create something new. Like I, I don't yeah. feel like I, I need to do that. Um, I just like kind of enjoy doing the repetition. Uh, do you think yeah. that from the angle of an artist, like sometimes if you were copying someone's artwork, maybe someone would say to you like, well, you're not an original artist. And by, by mimicking poses and doing the same thing over and over in some ways, like am I a copycat? in my yoga practice. Like I sometimes wonder like, should I be creating something new? But then I think that I've heard that saying in art that nothing is new is created under the sun. What, what, what are your thoughts in terms of like replication and or attempting to be original?
1: Okay. Uh, well (laughs) with, yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, so for art, I think, you know, it's sort of, if somebody is, like, simply copying an outer form in art, then uh, then that is, that somebody else uh, has expressed, then there is, then it's empty of content, then it's just an outer form, it's hollow. Mm. Um, if it's something that's expressed and it happens to overlap with somebody else's expression, uh then we go back to, I mean, at least what I believe is like, ultimately there is nothing original theres We're Mm. all stemming from the same source and creative uh, trust uh, that, you know, the, the cosmos or, you know, this is, it's all derivative of the cosmos. And Mm. like, I, I noticed that certain artists will like tap into maybe like a certain section of the, you know, the great, imagine it as pies. <laughs> yeah the yeah, universe yeah gives us um i notice sometimes i have ideas that i haven't done and like i think well i'm going to do that eventually and then somebody else does the exact same thing mm. and so what that point what That's i think about that is just like we're you know we're human humans are filters like you know I I am looking for certain things I'm drawn to certain things I like to express certain things and I'm not so unique as a human that only I would would you know of like 7 billion people like you know I would be the only one that's ridiculous you right. know it's like right. we're more similar than dissimilar and there I think there is no separation we're all you know facets of this compound I <laughs> you know yeah. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're, yeah, that's, you know, another artist like does that thing before you do then Well, great. Then you don't have to do it. Like you can focus on like the other things that you want to do. That's how I see it. Um, if somebody is like literally copying what you're doing because they think it looks cool, not because like they, it, it, they drew it from deep inside themselves, then that's a different thing than that's mm-hmm. plagiarizing. And yeah. I don't think that's okay. Okay, so yoga, um, and the sameness, the repetition of the practice is, I mean, that the the boredom is there as a tool for us to learn Mm. to see how we are in, in response to boredom or Mm. discomfort or, um, you know, it's like, are we drawn to this asana because we look good in it? We want to luxuriate because it feels blissful. We, uh, you know, we're awesome at back that uh, We've got that special piece right backbend or whatever it is. Like yeah. looking for attention. Are we avoiding something? <clears throat> you know, I noticed there's like two, re- two negative or resistant responses, like either like a somebody is like aware of an asana that's coming up that they don't like. And so they're already putting energy into it before they're even in that moment. Or the other one is like avoidance. Like once they're in the asana, just like quickly kind of doing it and yeah. hoping like nobody noticed and you just <laughs> kind of skim over it, which, you know, I mean, this is what we do with our practices, but through doing these things and the same the, rep- the repetitiveness, we get to learn. What our character structures like are mm-hmm. we, are we resistant or are we avoidance? Do we tend to grasp? Are we greedy for like attention or um, acknowledgement? And so you get to see what you're like. It gets the repetition creates this mirror, um, and as you change over time, you know, of course, your physicality changes. The body becomes stronger, or more flexible, or you, you start eating better, you know, whatever, like all of those things, but it's also um, as those changes happen, what, what is left for us to observe is like how our mental structure feels with situations and I, these are just templates for us to learn about ourselves and hope, mm. to, of course, hopefully take it off the mat, like well, rather than avoiding a situation which is uncomfortable for us, can we use the inner practice that hopefully we've been cultivating and refining and strengthening all this time, breathing through the discomfort, like being okay with like riding the edge of discomfort, Um, being able to differentiate whether this is like discomfort or pain, you know, and in that case, like we should pull ourselves out, like, you know, and just, it's just like polishing the lens, like seeing who we are and then it's up to us to do the work to kind of balance our nature, you know? And so I, I, yeah, I tended because of the, um, you know, for looking at it from an Ayurvedic perspective, like somebody who has like a, uh, a a fair amount of uh, Vata in their like character structure, which I do, um, I was resistant to the sameness. Like I wanted the novelty. I wanted something different. I wanted yeah. to play. I, I hated getting up like at the same time and, and but I recognized that the this rather than like giving in to um that that I it perhaps there might be a usefulness to balancing out that aspect of my nature. So by giving it the challenge of discipline. I was able to kind of bridge the gap between the side that wants novelty and the side that, uh, you know, benefits from discipline. And I think that's what we're trying to do with like a yeah. yoga practice to balance those, it, it's extreme to call it a shadow side, but those sort of unrealized aspects of ourselves. And to, you know, it's like building a muscle. So people are like, oh, this is so boring, and you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's supposed, this part, <laughs> at some point, you're going to hit upon the phase where you're super bored, and you have to just, that's the challenge, it's not like, oh, it's yeah. always going to be fun, and blissful, it's like, no, it's yeah. going to be boring, can you still continue practice? And, hopefully, like, use the, inter, yoga tristhana, like, you have, one has cultivated a bit of, uh, dispassion, so, You're not attached. You know, Mm. you're in a pose you love. Yeah, five breaths are finished. Next, you're you're in a pose that you hate. Five breaths are finished. Just showing up in the moment, doing the thing, watching it, observing yourself. And then you can decide with, like, greater awareness, like, how you choose to respond rather than sort of being flung and, like, enslaved by reaction. Like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. You know, I love this. I want to hang out and luxuriate in this. It's like, <laughs> just like, yeah, I hate this. Whatever. Next.
2: <laughs> I love yeah. this.
1: Yeah. Okay. Done. <laughs> Over. What's next? And so you just kind of, you know, watch yourself yeah. uh, and your mind in response and kind of, it, it gives you a sense of humor about it. You know, it's just our humanist.
0: That's cool, Kirsten. That's a great answer. Maybe the way you were explaining the ability to override or just to observe like that. And then when you're explaining like being out in the desert and trying to put something together in the 70 mile an hour winds and the heat, like a similarity between that approach in the art yeah. and also in the, the <laughs> yoga side. And
1: it, I, it does serve. Yeah. It, it gets you through those hard spaces and it just breathe through. And then you're like, okay, we, we solved some problems. We got through that. It was really intense and I wouldn't want to repeat it, but you know, it's like you can do it if, if needed.
0: If needed. So, uh, man, I'm so thankful for you taking time to speak with me. I, I, I had um, I had asked Cliff. I said, uh, "Man, I, I, who could I interview?" And he's like, "You gotta, you gotta reach out to to Kirsten. She's really amazing." Aww. And and I feel uh,
1: so thankful
0: to to have this chance. I know we've been working on being able to uh, have this uh, <laughs> discussion for for a little while now, and, and yeah. I'm really glad that. It came together, and I'm I'm just so thankful for you to take some time out of your day. And I love hearing, uh, like from an artist perspective, like um, I don't know the way you explained the last piece that you just reinstalled. That was r- really cool, and I feel I feel it, inspired. I want to I want to get some hubcaps, <laughs> and like yeah, uh, throw something together.
1: I don't know. <laughs> just get some materials, like you know. It's, it's... and in that way it is like a yoga practice you just you set aside some space and like most of what's going to happen in that space is going to be pretty mediocre but sometimes you like create something that's like you're you surprise yourself and sometimes you create something that's awful and you just you do it anyway and like you know allow for the full spectrum of uh you know expression to happen and you know some something will come through that uh speaks to you and it's like so in that way it's you you get the aha just like you do in practice on occasion and also with art but it's yeah it's delightful i love the questions these are so uh, thoughtful and interesting so it's it's really been a joy to have this conversation i appreciate it
0: thank you kirsten so much well i i hope i know we're waiting for everything to kind of get back to the usual stuff, but, um, I I hope to get a chance to practice with you sometime, somewhere.
1: It it would be a pleasure. Love it. We can continue the conversation.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Never ending
1: conversation. That's right. Right. I
0: know. I'm like, I'm looking at, I I, I was watching the the time, like going, I want to keep going, but (laughs) maybe we can do it again (laughs) in the future. We can have a part two.
1: Yeah. Why not? I'd love it.
0: Thank you so delightful. much, Kirsten. We'll have a yeah, a, a, my pleasure. A wonderful day and take care.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thank
0: thanks you. So much, Thank you. All right. All right. <laughs> <care>. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. If you held off on looking at Kirsten's Instagram page, go ahead now and check out at k i r s t b e r g. And now have a look at what she's talking about. Whoa, man, some crazy stuff. So cool. Thank you, Kirsten. I really appreciate you taking the time. That was great. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And until next time. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to give credit to the music Bryce Allen band. Thank you so much for making us some fresh sounds for us. Check them out bryceallenband.com. Remember you can visit us at NativeYogaCenter.com. I have a special for live stream. If you no matter where you live, you can join with us some yoga classes and you can try us out two weeks free go on our website nativeyogacenter.com on the homepage, there's a link try live stream two weeks free click it and off you're off and running (laughs) all right thanks everybody until next time be well